You know, when we, um, in the church, and we talk about the Psalms and we hear the Psalms, people often assume that that Psalm is going to be written by David. I know for me, growing up in the church, for some reason I had that idea. The idea most likely is because David did write so many of the Psalms, but he did not write them all. We looked at Psalm 73 last week and we saw where Asaph wrote that song. It was written by Asaph, who is the leader of David's choir. Today we're going to look at Psalm 90 and we're going to see that this is also written by somebody other than David. In fact, you might be a little surprised by who wrote Psalm 90. But when I tell you this, that Psalm 90 is considered most likely the earliest psalm that's ever written. When I tell you who wrote it, this is going to make sense because the writer of Psalm 90 is Moses. Now, maybe you never knew that Moses, Moses wrote a song, but that's exactly what he did. And here it is. We have it in the scripture. And in scripture, we have a lot written about Moses's life. And so he's one of the most known biblical characters. But this song gives us a little glimpse into Moses's thoughts as he writes about his view of life. Now, as we look at this song by Moses, here's what we're going to discover. It's what I want you to get today above anything else, that God gives lasting meaning to your life. All right? I want you to hold on to that. You're going to learn that today, that God gives lasting meaning to your life. I believe that every person longs to have a life with meaning. In an attempt to find meaning, people do all sorts of things. For example, we volunteer in order to find meaning in life, whether that's volunteering with a fire department or volunteering at a food bank, volunteering at school, volunteering at a clothes closet, volunteering at church, or volunteering any number of ways. Ultimately, people volunteer to have meaning in life, wanting their lives to count for something. Others pursue sports with the hopes of having a meaningful life. For some people, the more trophies on the shelf, the more meaning life seems to have for them. It's as if athletic success means I'm important. Others seek meaning through their careers. I mean, they seek to live lives making a difference, and through that, they do it through maybe working in the medical field or by teaching in the schools. Maybe it's providing delivery services to help get necessary foods where they belong. It could be working in the food industry, providing daily food, or maybe working in the field of technology, trying to help develop the next great invention that improves the quality of life for everyone. But for them, their work provides, that provides a service for others is their means of feeling, I am valuable, and my life makes a difference, that my life has meaning. Now, others seek meaning in life by investing in relationships, whether that be with their family or their friends. But through that, they seek a variety of experiences to make life more meaningful. The number of ways that people seek to find meaning in life are varied, but nonetheless, everyone seeks meaning for their life. Now, as we think about this pursuit for meaning, we should recognize that seeking a meaningful life is a good thing. It is, is it not? Go ahead and shake your head this way. At home, go ahead and shake your head this way. However, there can be a trap that we fall into. Okay? When we can fall into this trap of believing that we can fully control whether our life has meaning or not. And in the process, we can forget about God. If one is not careful, you can begin to think that you control everything about life and that the ultimate destination is yours to determine when that is just not so. In fact, maybe one thing the pandemic has shown us is this, is there's a lot of things in life we cannot control. Amen? All right? That's what it's shown us, that, that we're not. And as we look at Moses' song, here's what we're going to see. That life, though, can have meaning, but it is God who is the one that gives meaning to your day. Moses begins by reminding us, first of all, that the Lord is eternal. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or er you have ever formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 
Now, Moses here makes a powerful de declaration about the greatness of God. He declared that God had always been the dwelling place of humanity. The dwelling place be where one lives. And in reality, folks, without God, hear me, we have no life. God is our creator and our sustainer. And we must never forget this truth. In fact, the apostle Paul noted this as well as he spoke to the philosophers of his day on Mars Hill in Acts 17 when he declared, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Mankind owns, owes our life to God. Without him, we would not be. Yet many still try to deny God. Not only do folks, we own our life to God, but catch this. God is also the God of all of creation. If you read in this text, Moses actually even kind of began to go backwards. He talked about mankind, but then he goes on to talk about before man, then the mountains existed. But before the mountains existed, the earth existed. And God was the one who formed all of those. Because folks, ultimately we know this, that God is the beginning because he was before everything. In fact, that led Moses to declare that the Lord was from everlasting to everlasting. Think about what a powerful statement this was coming from Moses. Remember this, Moses had grown up in Egypt. And what did he see in Egypt? He saw the, the wonderful pyramids there in Egypt. He saw pharaohs as they would come and go and they had lived their life. He knew about the rich history of the Egyptians. When Moses lived, the Egyptians had a history like no other nation at that time. And keep in mind, the pharaohs were the religious leaders believing that they were, were, you know, were leading people to worship of these gods, all these many false gods who they believed controlled the world. And yet Moses knew and lied to all he'd seen and all that he'd been taught in Egypt, that the Lord was the one true God and that the Lord was a true God of history, even before Egypt was a nation that he was God. Even before anything came to exist, God was the one true God and not the false gods he'd experienced in Egypt. What Moses declared also stood in stark contrast to the pagan concept of God, which viewed God as being born much like humans. Moses made it clear that there's really just one God who is from everlasting to everlasting and that he is the source and the sustainer of all things. Now, it's important for us to recognize this truth because if we want to be involved with anything that is truly lasting, then we have to get connected to the eternal God. If we do not connect with God, then anything that we undertake, hear me, is only temporary. What God does is eternal and what people do is temporary. In fact, part of the reason for this reality being true is the next thing that Moses makes note of, which is this, that our lives is fleeting. Yes, God is eternal, but our lives is fleeting. Look at verses nine, uh, verses three here in, in, in Psalm 90. He says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. In these verses, we see a great contrast to the eternal God in that mankind is very much fleeting. In Genesis, we read this, where the eternal God created mankind from dust. And here in this chapter, we see where mankind returns to death. In other words, life on this earth as we know it does not last forever. In fact, several things here remind us how quickly life really goes for us. There is the analogy of being swept away like a flood. 
Unfortunately, we have all seen stories of people swept away from a flood. And the greatest danger with a flood is that it can come very quickly and wash things away. In fact, weather centers issue flash flood warnings because the danger lies in how quickly the water can rise and carry people and things away. Our lives are like that, it says, being swept away by a flood according to the psalm. One moment we're here, the next moment swept away. Our lives are also like dreams, it says. They come quickly and then they're over. Or like the grass in the morning that can look beautiful and renewed, but by the evening it fades away. If it was me, I would add another analogy because I think of flowers. If you have flowers, you know that if you water those flowers in the morning, those flowers are, the buds are out. They just look so beautiful. But especially in the heat that we have right now, what happens by the evening those flowers can almost look like they're dead, right? And you know, if you happen to forget to water them one day, what may very well happen to those flowers is that they will die, right? Because in the morning, they can look so beautiful. But the heat of the sun, they can go away so quickly. In fact, what the Bible tells us is this. Our days are like that. Our days, they pass quickly. One day they're robust, the next they are withered. Moses even mentions the idea of a thousand years in God's sight are as but yesterday, it's interesting because if you look back at the history of mankind, you know who the oldest person in the Bible was, right? Do you know? Anybody know? All right, Methuselah, right? How old did he live? He lived to be 969 years old. So let's round that up slightly and say he lived almost 1,000 years. And so here's what Moses is saying. He's saying even the life of the oldest man who ever lived is just like yesterday to God. His life was just like that. Even 1,000 years is nothing compared to an eternal God. Know how many, how many years you live on earth compared to eternity? Again, they are a blink. As we consider this temporary nature of our lives, we must note something. And part of the reason our lives are fleeting is because of our sin. Look at the next few verses. It says, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Now, you can read these verses if you want and come away with a wrong impression of God. You can read these verses and see God as a cruel deity who is simply angry and vengeful and seeking to cut our lives short. But that is not what Moses is trying to say here. He is trying to help us see the reality of life, that life is short, and there's a reason it is so short. The reason it is so short is our sin. In fact, you know, I mentioned Methuselah a few moments ago and that he lived to be 969 years. It appears as you read the scripture that God originally designed mankind to live that long. If you read the early chapters of Genesis, especially chapters 5 and 6, you'll see that people live much longer than they do today. They live to be in the 900s. But you'll see also as you continue to read in Genesis that as sin increased, you know what happened to the lifespan? The lifespan of man decreased. But again, this wasn't God being cruel or God being angry. Ray Steadman wrote about this misunderstanding of God's wrath, and he wrote this. He said, according to the scriptures, the wrath of God is actually the outworking of God's moral integrity. God has created the universe with certain moral laws, which operate much like the physical law of gravity. When human beings refuse to yield themselves to God, they run up against the moral laws of his universe. When people violate God's moral laws, the result is pain, sorrow, and wounding. It is God's way of saying to humanity, look, you must face reality. You were made for me. 
If you use the gift of free will I have given you to violate my will, I won't stop you, but you will have to bear the consequences of your actions. Now, I hope the part you hear of that more than anything else is the idea of this, that God's wrath is really meant to point us to our need for God and that we were made for him. God doesn't just send wrath without purpose. He doesn't even enjoy it. Parents never enjoy punishing their children unless they're psychotic, right? They don't enjoy that, but they know at times they do that. Why? For the betterment of their children. Coaches don't enjoy making players run as a consequence of not trying or not being focused, but it is necessary at times to get the player's attention. Most employers don't like to discipline employees, but they must in attempt to help them do what's right for themselves, other employees, and the company as a whole. Folks, God truly only sends wrath as a necessity. In fact, the apostle Paul said some very important words in 1 Thessalonians 5s when he wrote this. Look at this. For God has not destined us for what? Wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might do what? Live with Him. You see, God hasn't destined us for wrath. I mean, if God had destined us for wrath, let's be honest. If He had destined us for wrath, we'd already all be completely destroyed, would we not, because of our sin? He would have already wiped us away. But thankfully, through Jesus Christ, God has even given us a means to overcome sin. And what God wants for us all is that we would live for him, which facts takes me to our next point this morning, which is this. We have an eternal God. Our life is fleeing, but we must turn to the Lord to find meaning, all right? Because he's eternal and our life is fleeting, we have to turn to the Lord to have meaning. If we were made for God and live for him, then ultimately the only way to find purpose is to turn to him. As we look at this psalm, that is what Moses teaches the end of the psalm is basically a prayer to the Lord. The end of this psalm is, is Moses understanding his need for God and his dependence on God. And so he goes to God with a request of God. And these requests are really requests that are meant to end in Moses' life having meaning and not just any meaning. Meaning that is in accordance with God's plan. Look at verse 12. Moses begins in praise. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What was the first thing Moses requested from God, which we must all request as well? Teach us to number our days. What was Moses asking here? Well, he was asking God to help him have perspective that life is short and so that he would make each day count. He was asking God to give him wisdom so that he wouldn't just make it through another day and then another day and then another day and then he would live to be 70 or 80 and then die He was asking God to help him realize that life is limited in order to help him make the most of his days. Let's make sure we understand fully what he is saying because there are so many people who live life believing that they need to do something to prove themselves to God or to prove to have something to God that they have significance. Trying to do what we said at the beginning and prove that their life has meaning. Moses' request of God wasn't just about him making a difference. His request was about God giving him wisdom so that he might go about living out the meaning that God had for him. It was about using the life that God had given him to accomplish his will, living with godly wisdom so that his life served a godly purpose. That's what we need to see here. We need a wisdom that Moses asked for so that we too may live out the life that God wants us to live. That it would be similar to what we're told in Ephesians 5 where it says this. It says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, 
but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, most of us here are not spending our lives doing things that are wrong, are we? We're not doing that. But we do struggle with exactly what we should do. We often have our priorities out of whack. Have you noticed that? We often get our priorities out of whack. I mean, Chip Ingram made a good statement when he said this. He said, when we have misplaced priorities, we're spending our life instead of investing it. That's foolish. Instead, we need to be wise by discerning what God's will is for our lives. And that is really what Moses was asking God to help him do. He wanted God to help him live with the sense of the fragility of life so that he didn't just live out his days, but instead he invested his days for God. When you invest for God, that's when you find real meaning in life because you are investing for eternity because you are living for eternal God. Therefore, I would encourage all of us today to pray this, Lord, teach us to number our days, all right? But that's not all Moses asked for. He went on to say this. Look at verse 13. He said, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Moses' request was simply this. God satisfies with your steadfast love. Now, this is a very important request because even if we, we have to be careful when we ask God to help us to number our days, if one is not careful, you can begin to serve God in the way he wants, but then end up missing God. Our work for God cannot even be the ultimate source of our satisfaction and meaning. Why is that? Because even when you are fulfilling God's plan, you make mistakes. You're not perfect. Challenges will arise. And so if your fulfillment and meaning is in the work and not the God you are serving, then you will end up without meaning again. Does that make sense what I'm saying there? See, Moses recognized something. That if he was going to be satisfied, that he would only be satisfied in God. That's not a new idea that I'm sharing with you. In fact, if you were here last week or listened to the sermon last week, I mentioned that we have got to the point where we have to get to the point where we can honestly say, God, there is nothing on earth that I desire more than you. And one of the reasons that Moses even declared, have pity on your servants, is the fact that I mentioned earlier that we have sin and we stand daily in need of God's forgiveness. Every day we deserve God's wrath. And if not for obvious blatant sin, at least for the secret sin mentioned in verse 8. Therefore, our only hope of satisfaction is found in a genuine relationship with the God who loves us and who desires to pour his grace upon us. Moses was right to say, Lord, satisfy us with your steadfast love. And since most people look for love in life, for meaning, let me go ahead and tell you something, all right? You're only going to find one love that will never let you down. And that is the steadfast love of the Lord. If you want a true love, a love that will really give your life meaning, you will only find that in the steadfast love of the Lord because only fully will the steadfast love of the Lord satisfy you. We all need to ask this morning, God, satisfy us with your steadfast love. From there, Moses went on to make another request. Look at verse 15. He says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as you've seen evil. In other words, he just simply said, Lord, make us glad in difficult days. If, you've ever, if ever there is a time for this request, it's in our day and time now. Amen? I mean, if there's every day, living during the days of a pandemic and through racial division and political division, I believe we understand that the days can be difficult. Back in verse 10, when Moses talked about the length of days, he mentioned that their span is but toil and trouble. And I think we would all agree with that in varying degrees because we understand that life is full of challenges. 
Overall, we might judge life as good, maybe even at times being easy, but we are constantly faced with trouble of various kinds. Whether it is the difficulty of dealing with things at work or dealing with the issues with the kids or dealing with the trouble with a friend or dealing with financial strain or the stress of things happening in society, we all have to admit that life is full of difficulty. In fact, if we want, we can say this, it's one difficulty after another. And if we're not careful, we can let that difficulty overwhelm us. I know this. Moses surely could have let the difficulty overwhelm him, all right? Could he have not? I, I don't know if you know. I want you to think about Moses' life. Of anybody who had difficulty, Moses was the man who had difficulty in life. Before he was even really aware of life himself, his life had to be spared by being hidden so that he wouldn't be killed as an infant. And so he began very early in life having to be hid for his very life. After that, what happened? He was being raised in Pharaoh's house. He wasn't even raised with his own family. There was a time that he even got old enough in Pharaoh's house that he knew he was a Hebrew. He knew he was not Egyptian. He knew he was a Hebrew, but he wasn't even able to live with his own family. He was separated from that family. From there, there was a time that he saw one of his Hebrew brothers being beaten by an Egyptian. So what did he do? He stepped in and he fought for his Hebrew brother and he ended up killing that Egyptian. So what did he end up doing? He was on the run for his life again. He had to leave the place that he was comfortable and he had to leave to go out to the wilderness. In fact, he had to be on the run for his life for doing what? For doing the very thing that he had thought God had called him to do, delivering his people. That's what the scriptures teach us. But he lived one difficulty after another because from there, he goes out in the wilderness where where does he have to spend 40 years doing what? Tending to stinking sheep, right? If there was ever a man who knew difficulty, it was Moses. And what did Moses pray to God? Lord, make me glad in my difficult days. Notice he didn't even pray this, Lord, take away my trouble. That's not what he prayed. He didn't say, Lord, take away my trouble. He said, Lord, make me glad in the midst of difficult days. And I believe for us, that's what we have to pray. Lord, make us glad in the midst of our trouble. We need to offer up that prayer as well because if not, what can happen is we can just throw up our hands, become overwhelmed, to stop seeking to do God's will. All that gets is a person is more stressed. However, when you let God make you glad in the midst of difficulty, you can continue to live seeking the meaning that God has for your life, which even helps you have gladness in the midst of difficulty. Moses, though, wasn't done yet for he had another request of God. Look at verse 16. He said, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let's make his request this way. We'll state it this way. Show us your grace and your glory. I love where Moses moved to in this request. At this point, Moses says, teach us to number our days. Lord, satisfy us with your steadfast love. Make us glad in difficult days. All right, but now Moses makes a great move to a more of a focus on God. Here, Moses was wanting God's grace and glory to be seen. Yes, he was asking that would be seen on his servant, which would surely have included Moses, but he wanted that power to be shown to their children. He wanted God to be known not just in his life, but the life of others. It was a request for God to make himself known, which reminds me that the difficulties that caused Moses to make, ask God to make him glad were the same difficulties that allow God to show him his grace and his glory, which is often the case for us as well. I was reading through my devotion this week, and the scripture that I was taken to was 2 Corinthians 1. Paul there was speaking of his difficulty and how it was overwhelming, but look at what he said, beginning in verse eight. He said, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. 
Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was, look, to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Notice, Paul even recognized that his difficulty reminded him and his companions that they needed to rely on God who raises the dead. And what did they experience? God delivering them. In other words, Paul knew his difficulty was so great that his deliverance could only be credited to God and it was an opportunity for God's grace to be experienced as well as his glory to be shown. We need to remember that because often when we are in trouble, what are we praying for? Let's be honest. When we're in trouble, what are we praying for? We're praying for our troubles to go away, are we not? That's what we're really praying for. God, I just want my trouble to go away. What we're not praying is what we should be praying here. Where we're praying, God, I want you to be glorified in my life. We're praying, Lord, make us trouble free when we should be praying what Moses said. Lord, don't make me trouble free, but what I want is your glory to be seen. I want your power to be seen. And we have to remember, when we get to the place of offering up such a prayer, all right, it is often a place of great difficulty because that is when God gets the greatest glory. When we say, God, I want your glory and grace seen in my life, when we get there, we're often saying, Lord, I'm inviting trouble into my life because I know that's where you get the greatest glory and you get the greatest praise when I see you rescue me from something that I cannot take care of myself. Now, once you get to that point, you can then offer up these final words that Moses shared. Look at verse 17. He said, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. See, this last request is very important. Establish the work of our hands. You may want to look at this as a holy, selfish prayer, but it doesn't have to be if you've understood what we've already looked at. If you understand that you're seeking satisfaction in the Lord, even to the point that you're not really praying for the difficulty to go away, but instead for the Lord to give you joy in the midst of the difficulty, and that he would be glorified in and through the difficulty then you can say, Lord, establish the work of your hands because what you're really praying for is the Lord's will to be done in your life. You're actually praying, Lord, do with me as you please. Now, that can be a tough place to be, but it is a place where you find meaning because if God is going to establish the work of your hands, guess what work God is going to establish? That's right, the Lord's work. The work that he's going to establish is his work. And so that's why if you get to the point of saying, Lord, here I am, I want your glory to be seen. I want your grace to be seen. Lord, establish the work of my hand. If you're saying, Lord, do with me as you want, I'm going to tell you this. God wants to answer that prayer. Do you believe he wants to answer that prayer? I have no doubt that God wants to to, to answer the prayer of wanting him to use you for his glory and his praise. Now, let's take a moment and think about something as a possibility. And I'm going to go ahead and say this up front. I don't know whether this is fully right or not, all right? I'll explain this more in a moment. But let's think about a possibility, all right? When Moses was writing here a while ago, notice he said the length of our days are how long? 70 or 80. I want you to tell me, for those that know, all right, even at home, all right, again, you can speak into the, into the TV there, all right? Where was Moses when he was 70 or 80 years old? Do you know? All right, if you don't, I'll go ahead and tell you. When Moses was 70 or 80 years old, he was tending his father-in-law's sheep, all right? 
When he was 40, he left Egypt when he was 40. For the next 40 years, he tended sheep. So when he was 70 or 80, he was tending his father-in-law's sheep. So let's think about this. If Moses was about 70 or 80, because that's how long he would expect to live, right? That's what he said by his words. He's around 70 or 80. He's probably thinking, man, life's getting ready to come to an end. Lord, I want you to establish the work of my hands. God, I'm coming to you in the midst of my difficult day, guys. I'm coming and asking you to, to make me glad. God, I'm coming and I'm giving my life to you, saying, Lord, I want you to use me for my Lord. God, I want you to establish the work of my hand. I want you to use me for your, your will. I want you to think about it. How did God answer that prayer? God answered that prayer by giving him another 40 years of life. And what did he do with the last 40 years of his life? He spent those years leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. All right? And what do we think about when we hear about Moses? What, what do we think about? That's what we think about. All right? Now, again, let me be honest. I'm not certain if Moses offered these words up to God before or after he delivered to people. I don't know. Some believe that Moses wrote this psalm at the end of his life, and so he was looking back on his life, and he was writing his experiences, all right? Well, if that's the case, here's what I know. He still wrote these words to encourage us today. And what we're being instructed to do is this, praying ourselves, Lord, establish the work of our hands. Where we come and say, God, I want you to use me for your glory. In fact, I'll state it this way. It can be our prayer. This prayer of Moses can be your prayer and should be if you will place your faith in Jesus Christ. C consider these words from Ephesians. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. First, these verses give us the most important reminder that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Though sin had, had, had us held captive, Jesus came to set us free. Praise the Lord. If you've never given your life to Jesus as Savior, that's the most important thing you need. Confess him as your Savior. Confess your sin, invite him to come take control. But this also reminds us of this. If you've ever uttered up that prayer that says, Lord, Jesus, you come and take control of my life, what you're saying to him is, Lord, I want your glory to be seen in my life. Lord, I want to live for you. And you're saying, Lord, I want you to establish the work on my hand. And according to this text, here's what God has said, okay? He has created you in Christ Jesus for good works. He has created you in Christ Jesus to do the will of God. And here's what I know. It doesn't matter. If you'll come and give your life to Jesus and say, Lord, you take control, it doesn't matter how many years that you live but if you live for the Lord, you will be doing the Lord's work and he will be glad to establish the work of your hands. Will he not? He will. Th think about this. If, if you're doing God's work, it's gonna last long beyond your lifetime. Right? Okay. Moses offered up this prayer. Think about this. Moses has been dead for thousands of years. Right? But what are we doing? We're still talking about him. All right, we're still talking about the work that he did, the work that he did for the Lord, and his impact continues to go on. I know in life when I think about Jim Elliott is a person that many refer to because he was a missionary that died early, died young, seeking to reach the Inca people for Jesus Christ. Okay? He never saw the fruit of his work, but because of what he did, even after he was dead, the gospel took hold of the Inca people, and they came to faith in Jesus Christ, right? And many of you here today, you know Jim Elliott's name. He's been mentioned many times as a missionary that we look to. But let me ask you this question. How many of you here in this room know the name William C. Rogers? I don't see any takers on that. I don't know that I would expect to have any takers. 
But in 1872, he helped lead the formation of Valley Creek Baptist Church. And because of his work then, this church still stands and is still reaching lives now 150 years later. Why? Because God established the work of his hands. You don't know his name, but his work continues. Right? I want to close today by asking you this question. Are you looking for meaning? My guess is you are. And if so, I'm going to tell you this. If you want to find meaning, you'll find it by turning to God because God gives lasting meaning to your life. And I want to challenge you today, all right, to turn to the Lord and say, God, I know only you can give me meaning. And offer your life up and say, God, I give it to you, Lord. I'm offering it completely yours. Lord, here's what I'm asking. Establish the work of your hands. Have your way in my life, God, because here's what I want to do. I want to give my life to something that goes well beyond me, that lasts well beyond my lifetime. And I'm here to tell you, if you give yourself to the work of the Lord, it can go well beyond your lifetime. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to close a little different this morning. The words are going to come on the screen, but what I want us to do is we, I want us to pray a prayer together out loud. Okay? I know you'll have to read if you're not used to praying with your eyes open. It'll be a little difficult, but I want this to be your prayer. Okay? I want this truly to be the prayer of your heart. It's not unique. If later on you say, I'd really like to pray that prayer again, well, simply I'd say go back to Psalm 90. I'm going to read it because this is basically the prayer of Psalm 90, but let's pray this together. Okay? Look at, look at the screen. Let's read together. Oh, Lord. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom to know your will. Forgive us, Father. Pour your mercy on us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad in the midst of our many difficult days. Let your grace and glory be displayed in our lives and let your work be seen for generations to come. Let your favor, Lord, be upon us as we seek to do your will and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I hope that's your prayer today. Would you pray with me? Father, we bow into your presence today and ask that you would establish the work of our hands. God, we long for meaning, we long for purpose. And I pray today that we'll understand that meaning can only be found in you and you alone and by then accomplishing your will for our lives. And so speak to us, Father, in these moments. Help us to offer this prayer up genuinely, Lord, from our hearts. Help it truly be the prayer of our life so that, Father, you could satisfy us with your steadfast love, that you could make us happy in the midst of our difficult days. And that, Father, indeed, that you can establish the work of our hands. Teach us, indeed, Father, to number our days that we may walk with your heart of wisdom, I pray. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.